Welcome to Healing Wisdom, a Thursday morning talk show featuring guests sharing their stories and knowledge. We discuss the healing aspects of the arts, metaphysics, social justice, and adventure through all types of terrain. So join me, Pandora Peoples, here on WOMR 92.1 FM in Provincetown and WFMR 91.3 FM in Orleans. We're streaming worldwide at WOMR.org. Our theme music is provided by Mazin. You can find her website at mazinmusic.com. That's M-A-E-S-Y-N. We are here with Esther Newton and Jean Carlo Musto. That's Thank you right. so much for being here as part of the Provincetown International Film Festival. I'm really excited to have you ladies here and to be talking about this important work. Esther Newton made me gay is the name of your documentary, and you are the subject. I am. <laughs> and, um, and you're a cultural anthropologist. Correct. You've done really important work for the gay communities and uh, for feminism in general. Yes. And I'm really excited to be here with you. Your film is showing again Saturday, June 18th at 7 p.m. at the Water's Edge Cinema. And I would love for you to tell us how you met and what compelled you to tell her story. Well, Esther and I have known each other for about 30 years at this point, and we are a family in, in terms of queer family because we share an act and on both sides, on her current, you know, on her spouse's yeah. side as well. So I'd known her at a certain point. I recognized that Esther's, Esther made it possible for me to be gay. What? I mean, well, you made a space for people to be queer. I mean, you were one of the first people who were uh, looking at queer culture and writing about it and saying, wait, this is valid. Drag queens in the Midwest. This is a culture. And as an anthropologist, I'm going to study it. I'm going to use all the skills that that I was trained with. And I'm going to put out the best possible ethnography of drag queens that's possible. And pre-Stonewall. This was pretty rad. It was very rad, yes. And so I really, um, I thought in so many ways, you know, you were a pioneer in terms of not just sexuality, but gender studies, you know, yes. both of them. You, you always had an expansive view of, of these issues. So you never became dated. I mean, significant. <laughs> I, I never saw you really get dated because you were always thinking expansively. And that's a rare quality. So that's why I wanted to do the film. And I put you on the spot, didn't I? It wouldn't be the first time. So can you talk about the, for those who weren't there, can you talk about the climate that you grew up in, in terms of gender identity? Uh, well, I was born in 1940. And uh, the climate was horrible. My parents were left wing, so there was anti-communism. And not that long after I was born, like in the 50s, uh, late 40s and early 50s, was the whole um, lavender scare where homosexuals were hounded out of government, you know, the State Department and all kinds of things, raids. It was a really tough time to grow up gay. And um, it took me a lot longer than I think and hope that it takes young queer people today to feel pretty confident about who they are and who they want to hang out with. It took me a long time. In the film, you talk about 
how even standing certain ways was kind of taboo. Like there was a level of policing gender identity to that extent that it was. It was everything. It was the way you held your hands. It was the way you walked. It was the way it was everything. And and Jean has a piece in the film where when I was in graduate school, and by that time it was in the 1960s, I got this message through my advisor that we don't think you're really committed to anthropology because you wear pants too much. I mean, that was the level. Right. And can you talk about anthropology at that time? Anthropology at that time, I will say, it probably saved my life in a lot of ways as an intellectual framework for understanding the world. Institutionally, it was completely male-dominated. And I will say this gives also something of the time that I went through four years of college and six years of graduate school, and I never had one single female professor. That is quite amazing. That was the atmosphere in which you had to try to succeed, which most women did not succeed. Before we talk with you, Jean, about your whole mission <laughs> with this, with the telling of this story, Esther, can you talk about trying to conform to a heterosexual lifestyle? Well, as far as gay, I was totally in the closet. I mean, I went through six years of graduate school, and I never told, I told exactly two people, one of whom a woman I was having an affair with, and the other one was a gay man that I was gay, six years. And I had friends, you know, we would play cards, we would drink together, we would do this stuff. And there was always the unsaid and the unspeakable. <laughs> there were probably <laughs> two different levels that uh, I was trying to deal with. And I, I really did try to be to be some kind of heterosexual, somewhat passable woman until really the end of those graduate school years. So by now we're talking about 1968-69. So that that really stunts your growth, your psychological growth. And it's really tragic for young group people to try to be something they're not for so many years or, or hide. You know, but in my case, I was act- actively trying, but it didn't work. Yeah. didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jane, can you talk about your mission behind telling this story? Well, I wanted to tell Esther's story because she's a compelling character. Esther is um, very sincere. You know, what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a great thing when you're doing a portrait of someone for someone to just be themselves. So in that way, she's a good vehicle. I don't want to objectify (laughs) you too much. But, you know, the other thing is that Esther lived through some key periods in history. And I wanted to preserve that history. And when you want to put history out there, I know I've been teaching for 30 years in, in a university. You want to try and humanize it, or you want to make it something that people can relate to. And so her story brought brought me um, the opportunity to go through drag culture in, in the 1960s, to go through the birth of lesbian feminism. I, I mean, I was always so impressed that 
you know, you were hanging, you and Louise Fishman were hanging out with Jill Johnston, you know, up there totally thinking about the lesbian feminist mission. Yes. And, and, and through this, you are trying to figure out, you know, your sexuality, which is forbidden in lesbian feminism, you know, as a butch woman, yeah. you were considered very retrograde in in lesbian feminism so it's like she had to sort of navigate her way through these important historical periods and the obstacles she was jumping over were key in defining who we are like you know lesbian feminism had to deal with butch fam all of this or not and just change or people had to go on to something else so that was um important and then of course, you know, her looking into the history of Cherry Grove, you know, what makes queer space? What, how did people, how did this space get here? And th these are some of the questions that Esther always asks that to me are fascinating. You know, as an anthropologist, she's always looking at things through an idea of cultural relativity. It doesn't have to be this way. Why is it this way? Why right. are people formed it this way. How is it changing? And I would say too, this, I, I think it's so important to realize that nothing is fixed. You, you know, we are still changing. Who we are is, is not etched in stone. So I think the best possible and the most agile course of going through all of this is to recognize that there isn't fixity and that we are changing. And also given this, how how do we go forward? I think it's just really important to understand our history as we navigate forward, because otherwise people don't understand, for instance, how hard it was for, for folks like Esther. And I would say even later on, you know, 10 years later for me, it was not, you couldn't be out in college. So understanding that this, this atmosphere we have right now, or this, hopefully this, um, more open environment is is a result of a lot of people's efforts and that it's important for us to be in in tune with that that history that's and, why i made the piece and it's important for young people to understand you have to make efforts or we're going to lose they need to understand where we came from which was a really terrible place for queers to understand what we had to do to get where we are now, which is once again threatened. And if we do nothing and we don't stand up against it, we're going to lose what we want. Can you talk about the performative nature of gender identity and your relationship to drag, how, you know, how it first moved you? I had steered away from, I first encountered the gay community when I was 19. And I, I fell in love with it. And, but at the same time, I was so afraid. I, I just couldn't imagine how I could have the scholarly career that I wanted to have. And I mean, there was no possibility of being open about or even having a life. How could that be possibly navigated? in order to fit in enough. So I think I always made people, the straight people sort of uncomfortable, but to fit in enough to let, have them let me jump through the hoops that I had to jump through. I had to hide whole aspect, not, not just that, oh, well, I, 
have a woman partner, but my my natural being. And it's like some people may be familiar with Ann Lister and Gentleman Jack and all, all that stuff. But, you know, Ann Lister said, this is the way I am. And I was, God made me this way. I don't believe in God. But this is the way I am. And how I am now is the way that I always should have been. <laughs> and I couldn't be because there were so there was so much pressure and so many barriers. So I'm so grateful to the gay community because it's it's important to recognize people who are able to achieve stuff. But so like Jean said before, so many people did so much and sacrificed so much that we've been able to move forward as a group. I saw Pink Flamingos for I don't know how many times I did. But <laughs> I, I was watching Divine's performance last night and I was thinking, you know, of course there are tons of campy parts. You know, it's ironic. It's all these different things. And all the other characters are more extreme. But her character actually, to me, is like the most grounded character yes. and the most realistic character. And there's something in her emotional tone that to me makes it feel like it's not so much satirical or... It's not exactly an act. Yeah, it feels like an extension of her feminine identity or, you know, um, right. and I know that, you know, people like to make the, the distinction between this is a drag performance, I'm a man, this is a character I play. But from another film I saw too, Chrissy Judy, a filmmaker, and I talked about this, it's like he sees it too as an in his, in his film, his character, Judy, it, for him, drag is actually an extension of his gender fluidity and his gender identity. And I was actually really moved by the yeah, the emotional tone because I felt com that was what's compelling. So even though people talk so there's a lot, you know, about the silliness and, you know, of it. To me, there was there's like this whole other level that I don't think people are really necessarily thinking about or talking about. Well, I was interested in where I started with this. Why did I write about drag? Why did I hang out with drag queens? I started out saying the community was so important to me that I could find my way back to it. But on a personal individual level, because of what I talked about before of trying to hide and dissemble and be, you know, act more feminine than I, which felt unnatural to me. I related to drag on that level. You know, I, I felt like I had been a female impersonator in a different way than what, you know, than what they were. And I also talked in my book, Mother Camp, about the inside and outside, like it, how it was a double thing that this outside is a performance, but at the same time, it's me. And my inside is also me. And these things, play back and forth in drag identity. So, and I really, I love drag. I love, it's just, uh, it's a it's a real deep expression of gay identity. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of people relate to the idea that their gender feels at times performative or at times, mm -hmm. I don't want to say inauthentic, but that it's a, it's a play. You know, I think that a lot of people don't, subscribe to the gender binary and traditional gender roles. There's a moment in the film where Esther comes to this place and she, she says, I want to be who I was able to become. Mm -hmm. And I think that's 
just a critical part of our mission here. You know, what you're talking about, what Esther's work is about, the reason I made the film is to allow people this kind of space to become who, who they are because there are so many pressures and, and, you know, navigating it, particularly, you know, when you're looking at the lens of history and, and Esther's time period was extremely difficult. And it took a great deal of agility. And that was one of the reasons why I really wanted to include the dogs and the dog agility in it, because not only were dogs essential to Esther, to who she is, like at her heart, I, I mean, I think of, you know, you're a dog, you know, it's, as you say, it's not only it's in my DNA, it is in your DNA. And, mm -hmm. but you have had to be very agile to get to where you are today. And folks are going to have to see the film to, to know all about the dogs and how they play into it. But <laughs> your, your mother bred dogs yes. and it was a big part of your relationship with your mother and, and how you related to her. Yes. And the separation caused, but also the, the commonality. <laughs> Indeed. So folks need to check out Esther Newton Made Me Gay. Really awesome work. And your work is fantastic. And thank you so much for doing what you do. So how are folks going to see this outside of the film fest? Coming up in a couple of weeks, the Frameline Festival in San Francisco will have a streaming option so folks can see it that way. Excellent. Excellent. For 10 bucks. A bargain. <laughs> yeah, a bargain for sure. <laughs> so that's happening. Folks can see it here at Water's Edge Cinema on Saturday at 7 p.m. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you. You've been listening to Healing Wisdom at Outermost Radio. All of our shows are podcasts at WOMR.org. Also check out HealingWisdomRadioShow.com and contact me at Pandora at WOMR.org. 